0: we uh this over the past year have gotten a music playing service one of these ones where you can stream music whenever you want how long you want it doesn't matter what album or song you can find it you can play it 24 hours a day 7 days a week and it's interesting there's a category in this uh this this music service that's holidays and you know, as we've gone through the year, I'll try to, you know, at Halloween, try to see, is there many Halloween songs, you know, just to, to sing and play? There weren't many. Thanksgiving, not many Thanksgiving songs. That's true. Even Fourth of July, Memorial Day, there's just not a whole lot of songs that populate this holiday category, but Christmas, Christmas is different. There's Christian Christmas, there's kids Christmas, there's pop Christmas, there's classical Christmas, there's instrumental Christmas, there's alternative Christmas, there's rock Christmas. It seems like as a culture, an American culture, we have an overabundance of Christmas songs. There's something about this time of of year that that it brings out a certain response in people that they just seem to want to, to write songs And these songs uh, communicate different sorts of reactions and responses to to what's going on. Some are are rightly about about Jesus. Others are about shopping. Others are about your grandmother getting run over by a reindeer. Uh, Some are about uh, uh, only wanting expensive things under the tree and gifts. Some are about sorrow and sadness. What what is the appropriate response to Christmas? Not not the American secular holiday of Christmas, but Christmas as we, we think about the coming of Jesus. Because in our in our in our culture and, and in our communities, there is a lot of varying responses to thinking about Christmas and the times of the holidays. For some people, there's anticipation and excitement. Um, but that anticipation and that excitement has to do many times with, uh, with family coming, which I, I get it. Uh, others, though, it has to do with gifts. What present am I going to get? Am I going to get what is on my list and anticipating all that we will receive? For others, it's, uh, it, it's a, a place of deep hurt and pain and brokenness. Suicides increase around the Christmas season as people are are, uh, more than than ever are are faced with with loneliness and pain and brokenness. And and it's a time of, of despair and their hearts go to a place of helplessness and longing. Where where should our hearts go? What kind of hope can we have? Does. Where the Bible points us as we think about the coming of Jesus, how how should we respond? Where should our hearts go as we think about the fact that God has entered into our world over the the next few weeks? We're going to be looking at four different songs in Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the life and teachings of Jesus Um, that were the response of four different people or groups, well, people or beings, one of them is a group of angels that sing, don't really know how to refer to them, uh, um, responding to this news that God has taken on flesh and has entered into our world. How do we respond? This first one that we're going to look at is the the response of Mary. Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who has, who has heard the, the, the news that the, the angel has appeared to her and communicated that God in a, in a miraculous and powerful way is going to bring about a, a baby in her body. This baby is God in the flesh, the Savior of God's people. He is entering in and doing great and wonderful things. She uh, in fact, the angel says this just kind of gives us the context. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. How do we respond to this news? Uh, We're going to look at at Mary's response. This song that she sings uh, to to God and direct us uh, to uh, point our hearts to understanding more how we should respond at the news that Jesus has come at the news that Jesus is coming. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter one. We're going to be looking at verses 46 to 55 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 856. So if you could turn there or in your own copy of God's Word and follow along as we hear from the Word of God this morning. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how You have inspired Mary to respond with this this song and that Luke has recorded it for us to read. Again, by the power and work of Your Spirit, we pray, our eternal God, that You would continue Your work. Apply this Word to the hearts and lives of Your people this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so the, the the first thing that we want to to look at as we we look at Mary's song is to to, to see how uh, we are to appropriately appropriately respond the news that Jesus has come, news that the Christ has come and is coming. We should appropriately respond. What is the appropriate response? Well, look in verse forty six. My soul magnifies the Lord. And in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The response of Mary as she hears this news that God is finally acting, that He's finally working in an, in an amazing way. He's taking on flesh, He's entering into the world. Mary responds with rejoicing. Her first reaction is to magnify the greatness, the goodness, the mercy of her God and to rejoice in who he is and what he has has done. Why all this rejoicing? Well, look at what she points to in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, Um, uh, this humble estate that she's talking about. It's not just that she was poor, although she was, but th- that, that terminology of, of humble estate is, is also talking about suffering and oppression and difficulty and strife. Remember, at, at this point, God's people are really uh, nothing uh, compared to the rest of the world. They've been overthrown multiple times by their enemies. Now, uh, Rome rules over them um she as a uh, as a as a teenager at this point she's probably around uh thirteen to to fifteen an uh, uh, early uh teen of of Mary, m- age um and uh she is suffering um in poverty and suffering under the oppression of uh, of Rome and the the nations. And and her response, not just hers, but but thinking about how her people have suffered, not just under Rome, but under the consequences of sin and brokenness. Part of her rejoicing is is motivated by the fact that her God has looked, he has seen, he recognizes and notices her suffering, her oppression um, uh, The pain and brokenness of her and her people. And it causes Mary to respond with gratitude, with rejoicing that God sees and he notices. There's many of you here who who you you may wonder, does God care? Does he see what's going on in your lives? You would categorize yourself as being someone who is in a humble estate. You are experiencing pain and brokenness that you don't think you can bear And you wonder and you want to know, does God see? Does He notice? Advent, the coming of Jesus, communicates and says to us, yes, He does. He does notice. He does see the suffering and brokenness of His people. God looks upon us. The coming of Jesus lets us know that. And our response should be one of rejoicing. But does He just look? Does He just see? Or does He do something? When I was in high school, my grandmother died. She was 94 years old. Um, and somehow, I don't know how, some of my teachers found out. My grandmother lived about 45 minutes outside of Charlotte in this small town, Cherryville. Unless you're from there, it's Churville. Um... And I remember coming in and walking into the, the church with, my, with my, my mom and my dad and the rest of my family. We had a huge family. Filled up Presbyterian Church in Cherryville. And as we were walking out and leaving, I, I noticed standing in the back was a, a lady, Miss Payne, my English teacher. The English teacher that nobody ever wanted her to be your teacher because she was hard. She was tough. She gave difficult assignments and she graded hard. And everybody said, I hope I do not get Miss Payne. I had Miss Payne two years in a row. And she was one of the greatest teachers I ever had. When it was time for me, I got selected as a senior to nominate Teacher of the Year. I nominated Miss Payne. She was standing in the very back of the church church. She came all the way from Charlotte to come to my grandmother's funeral. Not only did she see and notice my pain, but I noticed and I saw and could tell that Miss Payne cared because of what she did. She acted. She responded to the suffering that she saw and she came just her presence there. I didn't get to speak to her but just knowing that she was there and she did something, communicated to me that she cared and she loved me. Do you notice here, Mary is saying the same thing? God doesn't just look and see and be like, oh wow, man, this is a really sad scene I'm seeing here. I wonder what's going to happen. No. Notice where she goes. He doesn't just look, but He acts. In verse 49, she also rejoices and celebrates, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. God has acted, he has done something. This news that has come to Mary that the promised one that you've been waiting for is in your womb is coming to redeem and save His people, God has acted. He has seen the suffering and brokenness of you and His people, and He has done something. He has done something significant and miraculous and incredible. Holy is His name, Mary says. Why? Because this kind of action, this kind of response by a God sets Him apart from all other gods. He is holy. He is separate. He is unique, not just in His perfection, although He is, but that He acts in this way. That He sees His people's pain and He comes and He does something about it by entering into their pain. By becoming one of them and suffering on their behalf. One of the, the greatest objections to Christianity many times is the problem of evil and suffering in the world. How can I believe... And a God who would allow suffering and pain. Why has He not done something about it? A good God would. I understand the question. I understand the struggle. But the Scriptures would say, He has done something. He has done something and is doing something about the pain and suffering and struggle and brokenness in the world. He has entered in. He has taken on flesh. The Mighty One has done great things for His people. That is something that should bring us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our suffering, a response of rejoicing, of magnifying our God because of how He acts as we see. Not just that that the Scriptures communicate that He looks and sees how we're suffering, but He does something about it. But notice also that, that Mary rejoices and magnifies the name of her God. She is responding appropriately as she recognizes His transformational grace. Notice in verse 48. Because of this news that has come to her, that, that, that this teen, young teenage girl uh, who uh, that, that God has, has entered into her life and she is going to be the one that bears the, the promised king who is, was to come. Notice what, how she responds. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's thinking about the implications of what has happened. Mary isn't, isn't proclaiming and, and, and magnifying herself. But she's responding to the the good news that has been given to her. Look back over in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's really the, the language of grace. God has seen fit to look upon Mary and come to her and to put his, his special care and His love on her and to work in her life in such a way that He's transforming everything about her. Notice that in this passage, remember what we've seen, it, it's a humble, poor, oppressed teenage girl. God didn't come to the powerful because of their power. He didn't come to the mighty because of their might. The intellectuals because of their intellect, or the rich because of their riches, he comes to a humble, broken teenage girl who would have been really in the lower rungs of society at that point. It is her life that God enters in and it completely transforms her to where when she reflects on her life and what will now be said and spoken of her, she says, now they will call me blessed. Because Not because of how great I am, but because of what God has done in my life. Mary's whole identity has been transformed by the grace of her God. Her identity is no longer rooted in in her oppression and her brokenness, in her low status in society or her poverty. It's rooted in the fact that God has entered into into her world and His grace has transformed her. This is what the coming of Jesus points us to. This is where our heart should go in recognizing that that what God does when He acts and works in our world and when He acts and works in our lives, it transforms things. Here, Mary, a virgin. She has not known a man. She even even says that. In verse 34, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And God says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you with power. God is acting in such a way that will transform not just Mary, but the entire universe. He is acting in unprecedented and miraculous ways to enter into our world and to deal with our suffering. But the thing is, is this isn't just true for Mary. Notice what she says in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This means that that this, this looking into pain, this acting and breaking into our suffering and our oppression, this transformational grace is available to us even now. As God comes to us, as He sees us, as He pursues us, the news of Jesus coming should move our hearts to be one of dependence, of rejoicing, of magnifying our God in the midst of this season where we can get distracted and overwhelmed by all sorts of other things as our culture and our hearts want all sorts of different stuff, Mary's song is pointing us back to where we sh- how we should be responding of gratitude and rejoicing and magnifying our God. But it's not just... Appropriately responding that Mary points us to, but also there's anticipation. We should appropriately respond, but we should also anticipate the reversal as we think about the advent of Christ. Um, This week, while we were visiting Lindsay's family for Thanksgiving, we went and saw Frozen 2. It's a... Disney movie that our kids have been listening to the soundtrack for weeks and anticipating. I'm not going to ruin Frozen 2 for you, so I'm going to go back and tell you about Frozen 1. Uh, so Frozen 1, there's Elsa and Anna. Elsa has magic powers to where she can turn things into ice and freeze stuff. And Anyway, she doesn't know how to control her powers, and so she gets mad and angry and uh, accidentally hurts her sister, and that throws her into despair, and then all of a sudden the whole community and world around them and Arendelle plunges into an eternal winter and, and, and Anna and other friends are trying to go and get Elsa to fix it, to restore it, to make it back like it was. Well, in the end, through an act of great love on Anna's behalf, Elsa sees and understands what's going on and, and a reversal happens. All of the, 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 the frozen stuff and the snow and the blizzard conditions and that has brought life to a halt in Arendelle gets reversed. And everything is restored and renewed. Now, the first time you see the movie, you don't really know necessarily that that's going to happen. But if you're like my kids and you watch movies that you like over and over and over again, now, from the beginning, when you watch Frozen, you're anticipating the end, and you realize all the way through you're anticipating the reversal that will come when through this act of great love and sacrifice, the renewal and restoration occurs. Mary here is pointing us to an even greater story, an even greater reversal that the advent of Jesus should point us to anticipating. Notice uh, first in verse 51, the reversal of the plight of God's people. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Um, as uh, This is mentioned in verse 51. He's talking about or she's talking about the strength of God's arm being exercised and demonstrated. This is language that's, that's actually, remember, we've seen this of Luke. Uh, he brings up stuff from the Old Testament. God's people love to speak in Scripture terms. And Mary here is, is alluding to God's acts in Exodus, where God, through the strength of His arm, delivered His people from oppression from Egypt. As Mary here considers the fact that God is finally and decisively acting in the world, she's realizing and anticipating God acting in such a way that will bring about the reversal of the suffering and struggles of His people. That He is again acting in this redemptive, uh, rescuing way to use His power and His might to deliver God's people. That's why she, she calls him in verse 7. She's rejoicing in God, my Savior. You see, the fact that, that, that Christ has come, that Jesus, that the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, has taken on flesh, has entered into our world, and is a baby and a teenage girl tells us that God is coming to do something significant to reverse the plight of His people. And we should anticipate that. But also, we're seeing here, Mary is anticipating the complete reversal of the effects of the fall. The, the problem that Adam and Eve's sin sent all of us into, all of creation. Notice what these reversals that she, she talks about. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the good, the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Uh, notice how the, the effects of the fall are, are, are shown here. Remember with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve uh, were, were placed into a garden. Provided and cared for by God. In a relationship of trust and, and dependence upon him. Uh, but Adam and Eve failed to trust and love God. God gave them good commands and they rejected Him. And they decided that they wanted to be king and ruler. They wanted to be like God and did not want to rest and rely and depend upon Him. Notice how that effect shows up here. But what God is doing, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The proud, those who in their hearts long for Power and control long to be the ones who are ruling long to to be uh, separate from God, to live in such a way to where they do not need him. They do not need to rely on him. They do not need to trust in him. And God is saying he is going with the coming of the promised one is going to work back those effects and bring an end to those who do not love and depend and trust in God. But also notice it's, it's not just the, the love of God, but, uh, the, but love of neighbor as well. Remember, a, a, after Adam and Eve sinned, Adam's first response was to blame God and then to blame Eve. Instead of caring for and loving for Eve and using uh, his authority to, to care for and encourage and nurture her. At the first opportunity, when it was uh, a chance for him to, to save himself, he was ready to toss Eve aside and blame her for all that has happened. We see it continue to unfold with their, their kids as Cain murders Abel and as it, it continues on as, as humanity hates and loves, loves themselves and hates their neighbor. And notice here, uh, God has brought down the mighty, those who use their power for, for oppression use their power to, to bring down those who are under their control and to exalt themselves. God is saying, you will be brought down and those who are humble, I will bring up. I'm reversing the way that the, that, that, that sin has, has worked in this world. And I'm going to bring up those who are humble, who are resting and relying and hoping and trusting in me and bring down those who are oppressing others. The same thing. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The way that the world has been operating where those who who use their power and their influence and their provision to hoard stuff for themselves and push other people down. The opposite of way God intended and created us to do now that Jesus is coming. He's working in such a way that just as was promised in Genesis three, that the the seed of the woman would come who would work back and and uh, and restore all that the fall had and sin had corrupted. He is coming he is working and he is doing great things. But notice the language that Mary uses to describe this work. She's, she's anticipating it as, as if it's already happened. She's talking about it as with such certainty that she's speaking as if, as if it has already occurred. Notice what she says. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. At this point, Jesus is just a small little baby in her womb. He's not accomplished anything. Rome still rules. Even at the end of Jesus'. Uh, life on this earth as He ascends to heaven, Rome is still in control. Sin still is all over the world. It's so true now. But Mary is so confident of what God entering into the world through the person of Jesus means that she speaks of this reversal as so certain and so true that she speaks of it as, as having already occurred because she's trusting in God so much. If that was true of the first advent, that would also be true for us. As we think about Jesus to come, coming, do, do you think much about Jesus' return? Do, do you and I, do we live our lives now in light of the reality that Jesus will come back? To say it with such certainty, to say Jesus has come. He has restored all things. We have and will live with him forever. All brokenness has been done away with. That is the truth of the reality of the fact that when Jesus entered in, when the second person of the Trinity entered into the womb of this teenage girl, it started this decisive work of renewal and restoration that we can anticipate and know with certainty will come to fulfillment. Mary was thinking this way the first time Jesus came. And we too should think this way as we await His return. Christ is coming. He will come to renew and restore all things. And we can rest in that now. And we can live now in light of the certainty and the truth that He is coming again. How do we know? How can we be sure that it will happen? How was Mary so confident that she spoke of it as if it had already occurred? Well, it's not just that we uh, appropriately respond and anticipate the reversal, but we need to acknowledge His remembrance. A couple of months ago, I watched a little documentary called Perfect Bid. It was about a guy named Ted Slauson who was obsessed with The Price is Right. He watched every episode he could. He watched old episodes, new episodes, YouTube videos. He, all of his vacations were uh, oriented around traveling to California so that he could, by chance, get in to be a member of the live studio audience of The Price is Right. This so occupied his 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 life that he began keeping spreadsheets of the prizes and the costs and and the the little things that would come up when they were doing all these bidding things. And he made this massive spreadsheet and he, he dedicated his life to committing these prizes and these prices to to memory so that he would remember them so that if he ever got the chance of being on the show, he would be able to win. And he committed all of this stuff to memory and he went and finally he got into the to the Prices Right as a member of the studio audience. He didn't get called down front the first trip, but he knew all the the answers because he memorized all this stuff. And so he starts calling out bids that people should be making. And if people listen to Ted, they won every single time he was exactly right. This happened multiple times. Finally, he came back year after year. Finally, he was able to get up front. He, he got the $100 from Bob from getting, for getting the perfect bid from the, the, from the showcase of the, or the, the little thing to get on stage. Uh, but he, did, he didn't make it past the wheel, but he won his prize. But then he would start uh, coming back again, and he's still yelling out uh, solutions and answers to these bids. Um, and the, the price is right. Uh, eventually there was a rule that was put in place that if you've made it on stage, you can't come back as a a member of the show for 10 years. And so finally he was able to come back. And he had modified his spreadsheet and committed all this stuff to memory. He meets a guy in line and is talking to him. And uh, the guy kind of blows him off at first, but Ted tells him, look, I've memorized a lot of this stuff. If you get up there and you get in trouble, you know, just, just look back to me. Well, Ted doesn't make it on stage this last time, but the other guy did. And this guy gets up, uh, finally makes it to the final showcase. And he looks out and he finds Ted in the audience. And Ted's putting up the numbers that he needs to bid. First and only time it's ever happened, the guy gets a perfect bid on the showcase showdown because he's paying attention to Ted. That means not only did that guy win his showcase, but he won the other person's showcase too. And the people, the producers, and the people in the Price Is Right flip out because this has never happened. They do an investigation. They think he's cheated, but they find out no. Ted has just memorized and committed everything to remembrance. And what the Price Is Right needed to respond to realize they needed to acknowledge the amount of remembrance and memory that Ted had, and it completely changed the way they did the show. So now they completely change how they do prizes. They don't repeat bids or items because they know there are people out there who could remember these things. You see, some people's memory is so powerful and it has such an impact that when you acknowledge it, it should change the way you live and act and what you do. It affected the price is right. And we see here it affects Mary as she thinks about the memory and remembrance of God and acknowledges it. Look in verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Her speaking here of of remembrance of his mercy. This term mercy is, again, a terminology that's referring to the covenant promises of God. And she's talking about how God has remembered his covenant promises to his people, Israel. And he's acting and working. It's been a long time. Remember, they've been suffering, they've been under oppression. This prayer that we prayed this morning in and, and Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, would have been prayed many, many times wondering, when are you going to come? When are you going to act? And God shows up and Mary acknowledges this is because he's faithful to remember his promises and to act and work, not just for Israel, but just as he spoke to our fathers, the promise given to Abraham and to his offspring forever, These promises that were given to Israel, that were given to to Adam and Eve, that Moses passed on, that that the seed of of the the woman would come who would crush and defeat Satan, who would work back all the effects of the fall. The promise given to Abraham that uh, an offspring will come uh, from your line that will bring blessing to the nations, that will bring in this kingdom that will last forever. The promises given to David of a king who will rule and reign, not just on the throne of Israel, but all over all of the world for eternity. God has made these promises and He will keep them. The advent of Christ's coming tells us that. It reminds us of that. And we need to acknowledge that we serve a God who remembers His promises and who is faithful to keep them. He came the first time as he promised sending Jesus. It was a long wait, but he came and he has promised. Jesus has promised that he will come again. It may be a long wait. None of us in this room may see him return. That's the reality. But we can know, even if we die, that God keeps his promises. He remembers he is even greater Then Ted Slauson, he commits all of his promises and acts and works to bring them to fruition. Um, These are things that we need to keep in mind as we are anticipating this time of Christmas, as we remember why it is that God entered into our world. It wasn't just to become a baby and find out what life on earth was like. It was so that he could suffer. It was so that he could live a perfect life. He could suffer and die on the cross to deliver us from our sins. Those who fear God, who look to him, who hope and trust in Jesus, can experience the transformative grace of God who would break into our world to right all the suffering and brokenness and effects of our sin. Um, Mary was confident of God's promises we too can be confident too. Not just of Christ's second coming, but also of that promise that forgiveness can be found in Him. Do you know Jesus? Are you resting and trusting in Him? Do you know that God has acted in such a way that He cares about the sin and brokenness of the world? Today, if you don't know Christ, this could be a time to appropriately respond to this good news, to cling and look to Jesus and Jesus alone. For those of us who are believers in Christ, who are already hoping in Him, may Mary's song point our hearts to this being a time of rejoicing, a time of anticipation, a time of confidently waiting for the return of Christ, that we would live differently now As we await his sure return to make all things right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Um, We thank you for the coming of Jesus. We pray that you would continue to change our hearts. May we respond appropriately. May we um, anticipate your we're in reversal of all things. And may we uh, acknowledge how You remember Your covenant promises. And may we rest and hope in You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.